0: and welcome to episode 145 of the HHH Racing Podcast. It is Belmont Stakes Week, everyone. Hope you're having a great evening so far. This is your host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining us on a very, very special night to kick off Belmont Stakes Week with two very special guests, Lafitte Pinkai Jr. and Philip Gleaves. Please make sure at the bottom right-hand side of the screen, You hit that subscribe button. If you're not a subscriber, please make sure you do that. You can, of course, see my name tag. You can follow me on Twitter at hkravitz. And you can also email me to contact, if necessary, on the bottom of the screen, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. Also, on that bottom of the screen, please make sure you smash that thumbs up button. That'll tell YouTube, this is a great show. And then also hit that notification bell, which will tell you when new content will arise. What new content? Well, for example, as you see on the bottom of the screen, we have a tremendous, tremendous lineup this week for Belmont Week. I'm going to show you on the screen right now so you can uh, take a look at it yourself. Of course, tonight, as you can see, we have uh, Lafitte Pincai and Phil Gleaves on the show to talk about Woody Stevens's five incredible wins in a row from 82 to 86. Then, Wednesday... We have Naira Line Maker and analyst David Aragona on the show for the second time. We're going to be going through in detail the fantastic card on Friday. They have five graded stake races this Friday. We're going to cover the late pick five. And then Thursday, and I will be in New York at that time, Thursday night from my hotel room, we have the big A, Anthony Stabile, simulcast host and analyst making his HHH, racing podcast debut to go through are you ready for this nine graded stakes on Belmont uh stakes day including eight grade ones and we're gonna emphasize the late pick five and of course details on the Belmont stakes I mean it is absolutely gonna be an unbelievable week here on the HHH racing podcast. I really hope you can join us. Also if you can't watch us live you can of course listen on spotify apple Podcasts, and anchor below the video player i'm not gonna go through all the promotions but there are three special promotions below the video player please just click the show more button below the video player and you can hear about all of our promotions and the last thing and i'm very excited to mention this brand new next week more details to come the hhh racing podcast online store will be open You can buy T-shirts, pullovers, hoodies, hats, and a lot more. I'd really appreciate if you could support uh, the podcast and get some great gear. I've been working very hard with logos and whatnot. I really think it's an excellent product at a very inexpensive price. More details will follow this week, but there will be an HHH Racing Podcast merch will start in the middle of next week. Very excited to talk about that before we bring on Lafitte Pincai jr. Let me bring on someone also very special. My co-host from the East coast, Paul Halloran. Paul, how are you doing tonight?
1: Howard, happy Belmont week. I love the Belmont Stakes, Howard. I, it's one of my favorite uh, weeks of the year. Uh, that card Saturday, as you mentioned already is going to be unbelievable. Uh, the Friday card is also very good. I've already delved into that a little bit. And, uh, Actually, the Thursday card will be pretty good, too. I'm going to probably do that last. I'll probably go reverse order here. But uh, it should be uh, – it's not the strongest field ever,
0: but it should be a very competitive race. Well, as I tweeted out, I mean, yeah, the Belmont – but it's going to be intriguing, though. It's going to be a very interesting race, that's for sure. Uh, But that card, the talent on that card, whoa. I mean, uh, we have plenty of time to talk about this week, but Flightline versus uh, Speaker's Corner – is, is, is enough for me for the entire day i mean it's gonna be a complete throwdown really excited but i know a lot of people are already on here paul uh so let's let's just get right to it uh for those of you and go to turn off the banners here as we're about to bring on our very special guest uh the guest that we're about to bring on i want to be very clear <clears throat> is gonna be Lafitte pinkai jr he's the second all-time uh leading jockey in the history of of our game North America he's an incredible person just to let everyone know for full disclosure uh, Lafitte is in Panama this week visiting family and certainly Paul and I did not want to interrupt his vacation and his time with his family so what we did is we interviewed uh, Lafitte a few days ago so what you're gonna see is a taped interview but obviously it's a fantastic interview it's well worth watching it's about 28 minutes now as you watch our uh, interview with Lafitte Pinkai Jr myself and Paul, will be on uh, live watching your comments. So if you have any questions at all um, that you would have had for Lafitte or you want to know more about those five years in a row of Belmont Stake victories by uh, Woody Stevens or just anything about history, we will be uh, commenting in the chats. We're going to be replying to your comments, uh, especially Paul Halloran. And Paul's been doing a lot of research. Uh, that was just before my time when I was a Became a horse racing fan, but Paul has more background knowledge on those years, so we will both, but especially Paul, be chatting in. So please make sure as you're watching the interview, uh, please feel free uh, to comment and ask questions, especially of Paul. But again, uh, this interview it was taped a few days ago. Paul, are we ready to show the audience the incredible interview with Lafitte, uh, Lafitte uh, Pinkai Jr.? Excuse me.
1: Absolutely, one of my
0: favorites. What a tremendous guy. I hope people enjoy it all right so let's do it so ladies and gentlemen this was a few days ago he really knows it needs no introduction but he's going to get a big introduction anyway this is myself and paul halloran with sound interviewing the fantastic lafitte pin jr enjoy everyone as we start belmont week we're going to be bringing on a very special guest this gentleman Is second all time leading jockey with 9,530 wins, five Eclipse Awards, 237 plus million dollars. His horses have won. He came to the US in 1966 from Panama at age 20 and retired in 2003 at age 57 years old. And Paul's going to finish with our information and then we'll bring on our guest. Yes,
1: Howard, and uh, we're going to talk specifically, this is the 40th anniversary of the start of what I believe is one of, if not the greatest streaks in horse racing, Woody Stevens, the trainer, winning five straight Belmont stakes. So it's very fitting that we recognize that on the 40th anniversary. And starting it off was this gentleman, uh, Lafitte Pincai Jr., who uh, is going to talk about some of his mounts. But you mentioned, Howard, some of his stats he was – Inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1975, uh, barely 30 years old. Um, he has seven Breeders' Cup wins. Uh, we look now at the Santa Anita Derby, which has always been a major prep for the Kentucky Derby. He only won that seven times, Howard, seven Santa Anita Absolutely Derby. unbelievable. Uh, he has the distinction of uh, riding all three legs of the 73 Triple Crown on Sham, who was the horse that... Uh, was thought to be a threat to secretariat that the way it turned out no one was a threat to secretariat but he really is uh, a legend of the game and and i think it's tremendous that he's taken a little time uh to join us here because uh it not only would be great to talk to him but this streak which i've spent a lot of time researching uh is, is really unmatched
0: in the annals of horse racing so no question it's unbelievable to have this gentleman on this show we are so proud to introduce the hhh racing podcast to pick off belmont week mr lafitte pin lafitte how are you doing tonight sir i'm
2: doing very well Howard. how are you paul
0: lafitte i'm terrific
1: uh, thank you for joining us uh, from the west coast uh where you've made your home and uh you and i spoke a few years ago when i was doing a, a, a kind of an in-depth story on woody streak and uh you you probably, after Woody Stevens uh, in the horses, played the the third most important role in this streak. And uh, I kind of wanted to start with the right at the beginning in 82. And uh, the day before the Belmont Stakes, you were kind of minding your own business, riding your races at Hollywood Park. And, and tell us what happened that day.
2: Well, I came after riding a horse and my agent was waiting for me. And he told me that... Uh, if I would like to go and ride conquistador cielo in the Belmont State the next, the next day, and I I knew he was the favorite, I knew the the horse, uh, the horse to beat, it, and I said, Of course, what happened? And he explained to me that uh, Eddie Maple got hurt and uh, Woody asked for me to ride the horse. And I, of course, you know, I <laughs> I took the red eye that night, and uh, I ended up in Belmont Park, and I won my first. Triple Crown race, which I'm very proud of.
1: Now, this, Howard knows I always find a Boston connection to these stories, Lafitte. I remember you telling me in a rush to get to the airport didn't you actually miss your first flight and ended up taking a flight that you had to connect in Boston?
2: Well, that's to get right. To that's right. Yes. Uh, I forgot about that. And uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I think they bumped me up because uh, for some reason they had too many too many too many passengers that night and, and uh I they I ended up missing the flight and I had to take another flight. And uh that's how he went about, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and yeah. four, forty years
1: later air travel has not improved. Yeah. And all they, they would still bump so you got the Belmont Park about noon. Now interestingly yeah. Lafitte as we know conquista you know they talked today about you know horses don't run often enough and you know the the trainers go easy on them. Conquistador Cielo won the Met Mile five days before the Belmont stakes. Tell yes. me what you were able in the short amount of time that you had, what you were able to learn about how he ran in the Met Mile and, and what you were looking at in the Belmont.
2: Yeah, well, all I knew that he could run. And then when I saw the Met Mile, his fraction, I was afraid that he might be, he may be, uh, he might be getting ranked with me during the race, the first part of the race. It was, because it was mile and one half. And uh, broke, he broke right on top. And uh, I kept him way out in the middle of the track, past the middle of the track. And I just want him to relax, you know, keep him away from all the horses. And when I, we got to the first turn, I just angled in and I was just where I wanted to be. In the lead going easy, and uh I just from then on I just way a horse move inside of me and I never worry about him. And he took he went on his own again and at the end of the stretch. I just asked him and he just he just went on and I never had to hit him and he just went one very easily.
0: Lafitte, we're gonna show the replay in just a minute, but before we show the replay, can you talk about your expectation on this horse? Did you really feel like he had a good shot to win. What were you expecting out of the horse before oh, the race?
2: Oh, definitely. I, I thought he should win the race, you know, and uh, uh, I knew that he could run. I knew that Woody was very high on him, and uh, he just told me to ride with confidence. And, uh, and I did, you know. Other than storing some of his past performances, I knew that uh, uh, he should win or he will be very tough to, to beat.
0: Well, Lafitte, as you can see on the screen, we're going to show the race, and and I'm going to make sure the sound is off here. And if you could just talk us a little bit through the race, and then, Paul, you can ask some questions as we go ahead and do that. Uh, Lafitte, you just mentioned the break already. You just wanted to break out of there and get good position.
2: That's right. He broke very good. And uh, right here, I kept him way outside. I just want him to relax. I didn't want him to get rank on me. Which I was afraid because he, he had a lot of speed, and right here I start angling him, and he just went in and just easy there. He's going very easy there.
0: Lafitte, how did you feel the track was playing that day? Did you feel like the outside part of the track was a good place to be that day?
2: Well, not really. I just want him. I just want him to uh, relax. And I tell you, he was just doing everything easy, everything easy. I could feel like uh he felt like a million dollar you know uh over here these all start moving inside. I never worry about him i know <laughs> i know I know had him be well, Paul, you
1: haven't he, you haven't asked him to run Lafitte at all at this
2: point no no i I saw him coming in. And it, believe me if he would have wanted to take the lead i would have let him take the lead i just went away until the head of the stretch and let and let my horse go
1: lafitte how much experience to that point had you had riding at belmont had you ridden there a lot
2: yes i had some some years before in the uh at the track and i kind of knew it you know but it's it's really hard to uh you really know because we, they don't run that mile and a we'll half races all the time. You know, they're just running once in a while.
0: Lafitte, can you explain the feeling uh, <laughs> on being the back of a horse right at this point of a triple it's, crown race, knowing that you're almost for sure going to win the race? That must have been an incredible feeling, sir.
2: It's the greatest feeling in the world, believe me. When you <laughs> know that you move moving your hand and the horse, the horse is responding to you. And you know you're gonna win. I mean, your you just feel great. You know, it's like uh, you you know you did a good job. You know, everybody's gonna be happy, and <laughs> you know, you just enjoy it. You know,
0: uh, that must have been amazing.
1: Fourteen oh. and a, fourteen and a half lengths. Lafitte. Unbelievable the final. Uh, and uh, you know, wow. it, it's kind of fitting to just to show how good Woody Stevens was. Yes. Most even in those days. I don't think a lot of trainers. The Met Mile is a tough race; it still is. Of course, it would have been today. It was. It, it was. It was always on Memorial Day, uh, last Monday rather. Uh, I don't think most trainers would even attempt it. Not, but to go from the Met Mile into a mile and a half race yes. five days later, it just shows what type of condition he had that horse in.
2: That's right. What kind of a confidence he had on him, you know. He, he knew the horse was ready. And like he told me, he just, told, he just I remember saying to me, he, just, he said, just ride with confidence. That's all. And uh, Well, just-
1: you certainly did that because you didn't have to ask him to run uh, virtually <laughs> yeah. at all. And and uh, there was no worry about moving too early because you just made that lead so effortlessly. And, you know, that, uh, that started it. But even at that point, Lafitte, it, it would be hard to imagine that Woody was going to win four more in a row after that. <laughs>
2: You're right about that, yes. And go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, the next time, I think uh, my next race was on on Swell, right? Wasn't it? Uh, Caveat, caveat. Yes. Which, again,
1: unfortunately, Eddie Maple was kind of star-crossed. Eddie Maple had chosen to ride a horse named Chumming in the Derby uh, for Woody, uh, uh, for someone else, rather. Yeah. And uh, so that opened up uh, the mount on caveat. And uh, this, I understand the instructions were, Woody, take them back as far yes. as you can.
2: Yes. I was surprised, you know, because in, in the race before, uh, he uh, he was laying kind of close. And he said, he said to me, listen, in his last race, he was kind of close. I said, but I, I think that if he runs that way, is not gonna finish. So take him way back, take him way back, and make one wrong with him. And that's what <laughs> I did.
1: Yes. They say closers can't win the Belmont. Howard, this is not <laughs> part of the. This is not part of the evidence. 18 lengths behind, after a half mile. Yes. And 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 47 and two, which is you know not a, a burning pace. Uh, tell me, tell us, Lafitte, as you watch this about. When you
2: started your move and, and how he felt underneath it. Yes, I uh about the half a mile pole, between the half a mile pole and and the five pole he, he started to move. And I started to let him move. I didn't want to be that far back then. And he and he started to move. And uh I remember I had some probably trouble coming down the stretch in the turn. Uh Cordero kind of there's now the horse inside. Yeah.
0: Let's, talk, let's and, talk about that, Lafitte. It was about yeah. right here. Sorry to interrupt you. He's about uh, right here on the inside. Yes. Let's talk about how tight it was. I believe the oh, horse right. actually scraped you. the rail, correct? It was pretty tight. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I, If I would have
2: taken a hold of my horse, I would not go down for sure. I had to go. And uh, when I went, I had plenty of room to go. But and then the horse got tired when I got there.
0: Right
2: there. And, wow. uh, I just couldn't take back because I'm gonna I'm gonna go down then.
0: And let's I, show that again right there, boy. Yeah. Bumper cars, Lafitte. And <laughs> yes.
2: But he was <laughs> fine. This or believe me, if I didn't happen that ahead of the stretch, he would have won by many more. But uh I think that probably in that bump there, maybe he got hurt there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he got something went wrong with him because and then after that race, I think he ran one more time, and that was it for him. He
1: never raced again, as a matter yeah, of fact. He came raced. out of the race with a bow tendon. And yeah. according to what um, uh, Phil Gleaves uh, and Dave Richardson told me, Lafitte, Woody was pretty upset with Cordero. Cordero was on Slew of Gold. Yes. He came in on a horse named Owl Point. And Al Point is the horse who actually got forced into you and yes. kind of closed that door. Of course, yes. Lafitte. I, I know you rode with Angel Cordero many times, I and mean, you probably weren't shocked to see him try to close an opening that you had.
2: Well, he's a he's a race rider, you know, and he he was always uh, a tough guy to beat, and uh, yeah, he was always dangerous in those those big races, you know. And uh, I mean, uh, I mean, anybody would have probably done that trying to close the hole you know but uh uh it's race riding
0: lafitte i noticed at the end of the race there he was on his wrong lead were you concerned at all that he might go to the rail again or you had such a big lead you just weren't worried about it and no that i didn't
2: worry about it i just wanted the wire to come fast <laughs> <laughs> you know you want the windows you don't I, uh, but I know when he took the lead, I know they weren't going to beat him because he, he, when he went to the lead, he went really, really good. You know, I, I know I had a lot of horse then, and uh, and then at the end, I, I felt that like just before the wire, like he he gave up a little bit. You know, I could feel like he gave up a little bit. Would you just- worry?
0: What Paul was, there was no inquiry, correct? So Lafitte, were you worried about a possible inquiry? Well, they,
2: they took kind of a, a little bit of a long time. So uh, yes, you you always worry those inquiries, You know, just always worry. You never know. You never know what's going to happen.
1: Although you you, but, you but certainly run the receiving
2: end of that one. The I, I saw on the official, you know, when they declared official, yes.
1: The, to show how much horse you had, Dolefey, he he got bounced off the rail once or twice yes. at the quarter pole. That means he'd already run a mile and a quarter. Yes. To lose momentum somewhat by being hit yes. off the rail
2: and to still close yes. like that, yeah. boy, it, he you were sitting on a monster that day. Yeah, because he was flying. Believe me, when I went, when I went, I, I when I asked him, there was plenty room to go. When I just put a neck in the horse. The, 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 the horse kind of got tied up, and I have to go. I couldn't, if I take back, I'm going to go down, you know. So, yes.
1: Well, there wasn't much room there. That was a uh, talk about race riding. You were doing yeah. some race riding there yourself because you were threading the needle, sir. So that takes us to 84, and you get to that point in your career. You've had an unbelievable career, but you haven't won a Kentucky Derby yet. And again, poor Eddie, Ma- Eddie Maple rides Devil's Bag, which is the horse of the year, was a two-year-old. Yes. He was supposed to be the
3: yeah. he
1: was supposed to be the triple crown winner. He That's was syndicated that. for $36 million. He gets hurt. They need a a, a jockey going into that three year old campaign for swale. You pick up swell. Tell us why don't we talk a little bit about the Derby and then we'll go to the Belmont on Swale.
2: Well, yes, um, I actually I rode swell in the Florida Derby because Maple was gonna ride the other horse. So I went to riding in Florida and I really liked his, his, his race. I knew he will improve, but after that race, he beat a horse called Dr. Carter, that I think he was the favorite. And I was very happy about it, you know, about the race. And uh, uh, Woody called my agent, told me he was gonna run him in the Lexington Handicap as a prep for the Kentucky Derby. And I went to ride him in, 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 in Kingland. And, uh, I think, I think it rained that day and the track was wet. And I think he finished second and the horse beat him, beat him like for 10 lengths, you know? Beat yeah. He didn't, yeah. So, uh, my agent after the race called me up and he told me that, uh, uh, he didn't think, uh, uh swell could win the kentucky derby and uh he wanted to ride horse that i've been riding here in california a horse by sierra slew i don't remember his name and uh you know i always always uh listen to my agent i always try to do what they want me what horse they want me to ride that's what i'm paying for but thank god this time i told him you know tony he swelled his race that I expected him, him to. He can win or he's going to win. And then I decided to stay on Swell. Sure he about. was also a son of Seattle Slope, correct? Yes, he was by Seattle Slope. yes. And, and probably uh, – go ahead. No, 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 go ahead.
1: I was going to say probably is, if you look at the streak, probably the most talented of the five in the streak, in the Belmont streak of Woody. This is yeah. a
2: really good horse. Yes, he was. And he was improving. You know, I could tell like he was improving a lot, you know, like from one race to, you know, from the other horse races that I saw him win. When he won the uh big Dr. Carter, I knew he improved uh, of that race. But I was surprised he didn't he didn't fire in that race. And I said maybe it's the track, maybe you know. But I had a feeling. I had a feeling with him and I said, they stay on the source.
1: And this is right on the lead here, correct? Yes. Howard, you'll recognize those familiar silt of Claiborne Farms. Yes, Farm.
0: Claiborne Farms, nice. what a, a, a fantastic place. Yeah. Actually, Lafitte, I yeah. just uh, had Walker Hancock on our podcast last month uh, from Claiborne Farms, a terrific gentleman, and uh, we talked quite a bit about Claiborne Farms. It must have been very nice to ride for such a famous farm at that time.
2: Oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. They ha they had some good horses and he was a he was a good owner and uh nice guy. Very nice guy.
1: And Woody, of course, was close friends with Seth Hancock. Yeah. Oh yes. And Howard also part of the ownership group of this horse was a guy who is very much still active in the game, a guy named Peter Brandt,
0: you've heard of him. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Lafitte, can you talk about your feeling right here at this, at this point All in the race? Right, yeah,
2: he, he did it so easy to, to lead and he did it at a very easy pace, and a slow pace, and I I knew he, right right about here, I knew it would be tough to beat. I said, gosh, the way Are he's he, running, the way he's feeling under me, I said, he's going to be very tough to
0: beat. I mean, you really haven't even set him down yet, really. You haven't even yes, asked. yes. yes. He just went on with it, switched leads know, perfectly, and
2: I have a hair when he switched lead, you know, and they I asking him, and
0: again oh, another just... another fantastic feeling.
2: Yeah, oh, definitely again. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: draws draws you know, away. I, I, Go ahead, Paul. Well, I was going
1: to say they weren't close. Uh, the the three Belmonts that Lafitte won for Woody Stevens the. Combined margin of victory was 22 lengths. Of mm-hmm. course, Conquistro Cielo, 14 and a half. But I was going to say what's interesting about that race, and Lafitte said how easily he did it, his six furlong splits were identical. He went 113 and three for the first six furlongs and 113 and three for the second six furlongs, Boy, yeah. which is in the Belmont, I, you know, ideally, when you got to go a mile and a half, those yeah. are the horses who really do well in the Belmont yeah. who can kind of maintain... Maintain the pace, but exact same yeah. splits: one thirteen and three. Clicking off
0: those twenty-four and two is feet <laughs> Yes, that's right. Of course, there
1: was a. There's a sad end to that story. Is eight days after the Belmont on a train after training, uh, Swale had a. I think it was a hot attack, Lafitte. Right, just yes. dead, right on, right on yes. the track, coming off the track. Woody yeah. was on his way to uh, vacation in Hot Springs with his wife Lucille and got a call. It was a routine, a routine gallop, and and the horse just collapsed, which is truly a shame. Because that, as I say, I think Woody was probably uh, Woody Lafitte was the most talented of the five.
2: Yes, I think so. I think, Paul, I, I think he was going to improve. I had so many good races for him that year, and I it was it was sad, you know, that that happened.
0: Paul, let's close out our conversation with talking a little bit about the eighty. Five Belmont, uh, Lafitte. You you finished a close second in that race, but Woody Stevens, of course, wins again on his other entry. Paul, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the yeah, eighty-five well, race? I I guess it was Eddie Maple's turn,
1: Lafitte, right? He had right. A, yes, he had is. to get one. He had a horse called Creme Fresh, and uh, and Woody uh, Lafitte, you were on a horse called Stephen's Odyssey. Yes. which Interestingly, was a gel, uh, uh, Creme Fraiche was a gelding, I believe, and uh, y- your horse was a colt because Charlie Whittingham, according to what uh, David Donk told me, David was an assistant for Woody. Charlie Whittingham called Woody a few days after the race and said, you got to be the dumbest SOB I've ever seen letting a gelding beat that colt. It might cost you a million dollars. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But
2: uh, this, was, this was a heck of a race, Lafitte. Yes he was. Yes he was. I got through I got through in the rail. I got through in the rail and uh I thought I had a chance to win until uh until I saw Cream Fresh come by me and he came by he came by by me fast, he moved fast. And uh well I didn't win the race, but I thought I brought a good race and uh the horse ran good and and Woody won, so I was happy for him.
1: And of course the horse you were on uh stefan's odyssey was owned by henrik de quiet quietkowski yeah, yes. who owned conquistador yeah. cielo That's he it. thought he won the race and uh david donk hit howard a pretty good anecdote Dave, he he started uh hugging woody and Woody said you better go hug betty moran because she yeah. just beat you
0: yeah right here <laughs> i got through in the rail yeah I'm, did you did you feel yeah. like at this point lafitte that you were a winner
2: yes when I got through I thought I was I thought I was the winner for sure, you know, because I said all the ground and uh, he was running strong, but King Fresh came fast. He came he came fast and and Michael was running him hard, you know, and that was a good race.
0: Yeah, yeah, you were strong left hand there. You almost came back on him, uh, Lafitte.
1: Really yeah, good effort. Got, two tried. and two B. Yeah, I'll talk. And as unbelievable the advantage of having a gelding, Creme Fresh, Howard ran sixty-four times <laughs> in his career, wow. which was Woody's other other uh, Belmont winners combined ran sixty-five times. So, <laughs> yeah, they got the most out of Incredible. Creme Fresh, but that was a hell of an effort, LaFitte by Steffens yeah. uh, yes, by Stefan's Odyssey. But I guess, as we said, Eddie Maple probably deserved one,
2: right? Oh yeah, definitely
1: he uh he was kind of starstruck well if he as I say phil gleaves uh, who we're going to talk to as well said he thinks it's not only one of the greatest streaks in horse racing the five straight belmonts but all of sport and you've been involved in the sport all your life tell us about the significance of one trainer being able to win that
2: one race five years in a row oh, that's fantastic that's a fantastic fantastic feat you know it's going to be very tough for another trainer to do that. He yeah. um, yeah. takes a lot of To say the least. To say the, the, the least. And, you know, and uh, yeah, that was it's unbelievable that he could do that.
0: Lafitte, I just want to ask you one more quick question. We really appreciate you being on the show uh, tonight. Oh, yeah. Everyone's a big fan of yours, and we have so much respect for you. Is there a particular uh, jockey? That you watch right now, that you that you just think is fantastic, and you like to follow, whether it be on the West Coast or somewhere else.
2: Oh, definitely! I, I usually uh, watch Panamanian uh, jockeys because they have a very good school over there. And Saez is doing fantastic. He, I think he's he's probably the best jockey in the United States right now. Uh, but I also like Rosario. Rosario is a very good. Very good jockey, very tough jockey, one of the best ever, I think. And uh, this is John, and I know a jockey that is doing very good, and he can really write. He's a jockey called Santana, another Panamanian. Yes. And then a of, I don't remember his name right now. It doesn't come to me, but they 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 are very good, very good.
1: Very so j- Say really, Lafitte had that breakout meet at Saratoga last yes. year. That's a huge deal for him to win that. Won the jockey title. title. Yeah. Yes.
2: It's not easy to win over there in Saratoga. Not easy. It's, <laughs> tough. Not. it's tough, yes. I won it one time. I won it one time by one race. And I beat yep. Angel.
0: <laughs> there you go. Oh. Paul, I'll let you ask the final question as we close out Lafitte here.
1: Well, no, I, I just want to cut Lafitte. You've been very generous. You were very generous with your time uh, when, when we talked a few years ago for this streak, for you to come on. Uh, I, I, the only Why don't we end with your legacy in the game lives on because you put the TV on and you get to see your son on TV
2: all the time. Tell us how proud you are of
1: your son uh, following in your footsteps in another aspect of the game
2: well i'm very proud of him uh, i'm very proud of what he does uh, his job that he, he does a good job he's a good son and uh he uh he i think he followed the advice that i gave him when he started i said just you are never good enough you always want to get better and that's why he does you always want to improve
0: of course I, you, I can you were going to tell guys. <laughs>
1: I thought you the advice was don't become a jockey.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want him to. Believe me, I didn't want him to. I uh, from the beginning, well, when he started growing up, I told him, I said, you can pick any any sport you want, or you are not going to be a jockey or a football player. He said, okay, then.
0: <laughs> well, the well, we very really much
1: appreciate at the top of his game, very much at at his level, he's at at his field. The feet. He is where you were because he is right at
0: the top of his game.
2: Well, thank you very much.
0: Thank. You. He is fantastic. Listen, Lafitte, we really appreciate you coming on. We'd love to have you come on again another time. Stay well, good health and happiness to you and your family, and we'll see you down the road, sir. Thank you very much for coming on tonight. Thank yeah, you, yeah. Lafitte. Great job. Thank you. Anytime. Take care. Anytime. Bye-bye. Bye, Paul. Bye. Take care, Lafitte. Okay, I just wanted to – all righty, ladies and gentlemen, that was an incredible. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Lafitte Pincai Jr. Paul, I don't know about you. It looks like he can jump on the back of a horse right now or run a marathon. Wow. I mean, the guy's, I believe, seventy-five years old. He's a hell of a yeah. lot better shape than I will ever be, probably at this point.
1: Yeah, making the rest of us look bad, Howard. That's for sure. You, you got that right. He still, he, he told me he he still pays attention to uh, you know staying in shape and uh, one one time when i reached out to him uh to to set up this interview he was on the golf course so he's he's still an active guy he's in panama as we speak you know flying from the west coast of the us yeah. to panama so god love him and i told you how when we spoke off air um you know you i when i first started in the game like yourself you know you you start following horses and jockeys and i, I don't really I can't tell you why, but he was always my favorite jockey. (laughs) I always, he was the guy, I I liked him and I liked Pat Day a lot, Uh, but he was really my favorite jockey and uh, it was really a thrill to, to get him on. And and as you say, I hope people enjoy, uh, enjoyed it. And I hope people can really comprehend how difficult, what Woody Stevens did, you know, how difficult it is to achieve that to win one of these triple crown races in one year, you know, we see most years three different trainers win one. You know, so to to have him win the same one five years in a row is just incredible, and uh, I hope people are enjoying this little stroll down memory lane.
0: Well, and and everyone needs to stay tuned because we're about to take another stroll down memory lane from the trainer's end, of course, uh, in just a moment here with Phil Gleaves. But you know. I, I'll just end with this with Lafitte. I think the reason why people love Lafitte so much, Paul, and I'm sure our next guest will agree is not only was he super talented, but he just exudes class, just classy all the way, spent a lot of time with us. He spent his, he spends time with a lot of people. Every single accolade he has uh, gotten, Paul, is richly deserved as far as I'm concerned.
1: How many He came to the US in 1966. He was 20 years old. Nine years later, he was in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so,
0: just, I mean, just think about that. It's just it's just incredible. Well, listen, let, let, let's talk more. Our, our guest has been waiting very uh patiently backstage. This gentleman uh, was an assistant to Woody Stevens. He has a great he had a great career himself as a trainer many years in New York. Paul, I'm gonna let you you have a few stats about uh, Phil Gleaves before we bring him on that you want to mention uh to the uh, viewers and listeners.
1: Sure. Well, Phil is uh, from England, as he'll tell you. He's from Liverpool. He came over here originally to ride exercise for Lucian Lauren. People may have heard from him. He trained a horse named Secretariat in 1970. Pretty good horse, I hear. He also won the Belmont Stakes, in case anyone wasn't aware. (laughs) I believe he did. Um, Phil trained. uh, He was with Woody from 77 to 85, on his own from 85, just till last summer. He retired last summer after a 36-year career. Uh, he started 4,178 horses. He had 588 wins earnings of more than $16 million in 1986. He won the Haskell, the Travers and the super derby with wise times, which is an unbelievable trifecta. And, uh, he won five, he had five graded stakes winners overall. He had over a million dollars in earnings three times, et cetera, et cetera. His, uh, his father-in-law, speaking of ageless wonders, is a guy named Bob Dunham, who Phil can confirm. But I think he's 86 or 87. I was at Saratoga last summer when Bob won one of the New York bred stakes races the day before the Travers, and and I know Phil was there as well. It was by far the story of the day that this uh, octogenarian trainer was uh, still winning stakes races. So uh, uh, Phil is just a great guy, and as I say, he went to it. David Donk affectionately calls uh, Woody Stevens University. Uh, He was there for, it took him eight years to graduate, but that doesn't mean he's
0: a slow learner. It just means (laughs) he was soaking it all in. So let's have him. Well, we're going to bring him on. By the way, Phil is a a native of, uh, from Davy Lane's place. Davy Lane uh, from Liverpool, of course. I don't know what it is about Liverpool. They bring great horse people from Liverpool. Let's bring him on right now. The wonderful, fantastic, now retired. Phil Gleaves. Phil, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm
3: doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. It was wonderful listening to Lafitte there. I haven't spoken to him in many years, and it was just great uh, listening to his uh, take on these races. What a great
1: guy, Phil. Huh? It, must, it must have been nice to, uh, even as the assistant, uh, giving a, helping to give a leg up to a guy like him, huh?
3: It was phenomenal, you know, being around Woody and therefore being around the kinds of horses that Woody had. and attracting the best jockeys, it was, uh, I had died and gone to heaven.
0: Well, Phil, we Phil... really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Uh, we have a lot of people watching and listening. If you have any questions for Phil Gleaves as the assistant to Woody Stevens or his career in New York, please make sure, uh, you know, when he was uh, solo, please make sure you place those comments. In the live chat, Paul, let's talk with Phil about uh, before he came to the States. Phil, I believe you were, as Paul uh mentioned, around some fantastic trainers. I believe you uh, were around Nijinsky. Uh, also, you you rode him as well. Um, uh, you galloped him. Uh, talk about a little bit your uh, career and your times um, as a horseman before you came to the States.
3: Well, no, that's uh, not quite correct. I wasn't around Nijinsky, he was trained no, by I,
0: Vincent O'Brien. I was I a big fan of uh, that's quite all right.
3: I was a big fan of Nijinsky and okay. his jockey who just passed away, Lester Piggott. Yeah. Um, I came from England. Uh, I was an apprentice jockey over there, rode uh, some races in England and Germany, came to America in 1977, uh, was fortunate enough to work for Lucian Lauren, um as my first job. And because Lucian wasn't going south the winter and I just left cold rainy, wintry England. I wanted to go to Miami. And so I approached Woody Stevens and he was kind enough. And I was blessed to be able to have an opportunity to go to work for Woody in December of 1977.
0: Talk about what it was like to come to the States and, and how, you know, uh, horsemen from overseas were treated. You uh, we, we felt like you were treated any differently, better or worse. What was the vibe? What was the atmosphere for yourself coming to the States?
3: well there's still very much a class system in england that's still vibrant today unfortunately and a guy from the north of england like myself from a working class background wasn't going to have many opportunities uh to advance uh in horse racing in england and so i saw the writing on the wall i knew i had to come to america america was was the place for me from Uh, My early teens. I loved American music. I loved American TV. I wanted to be an American. And so at my first opportunity, I came over here. And um, uh, from day one, landing in New York, I just have loved it. And this has been home now uh, for uh, 40 something years.
0: Uh, Paul, I'm going to let you start here in just a second with your question. But, Phil, you're going to see questions on the bottom of the screen. We have we have a question for you already that I'd like to uh, bring to your attention. We have fantastic uh, viewers and listeners. This is from our good friend Tom Espinosa, who lives out in the San Francisco area. Uh, during that five-win streak, which winner surprised you and the stable the most, would you say? Great well, question from Tom.
3: It is a good question. I'm, I'm smiling because nothing much surprised Woody Stevens. He was an extremely confident horse trainer, um, and so none of the winners, none of the five, were a surprise to him. Um, and I will also say that, having been around him for eight years, around a lot of good horses, we won a lot of big races. He won. He trained a lot of top horses. I've never seen him as confident about any horse in any race as he was about Conquistro Cielo and the days prior to the Belmont. Uh, Several people in the business, high up in the business, had tried to talk him out of running. The horse, after having won the Met mile, going a mile and uh, uh, 33 flat and drawing off and winning that pretty easily, uh, had immense value as a stallion prospect. He was by Mr. Prospector, Mr. Prospectors normally don't want to go a mile and a half. Not only was he going to run in five days, if he did run in five days, that would have been his fourth race in 28 days. Unbelievable. So people were asking him and uh, questioning his judgment, uh, and he would just not hear of it. I remember having conversations with him, walking to the track on one of, his horses at that time, and we'd be walking to walk to the track. He'd be on the pony, and I would say, "Woody, are you sure about this? You know, th- this could go very wrong." And he said, "There's just absolutely no way that this horse will get beat." And he was that confident in that horse in that race.
0: Uh, Phil or Paul, do you know the odds of Kinky sort of hello that day?
3: Four to
1: one.
0: Wow. That, that, that's so, probably the uh, overlay of the century, according to <laughs> Phil, I would say. Uh, Paul, yeah. go ahead with a question. Well, Phil, yeah, I, I,
1: you had told me that when we spoke that uh, not only were they telling Woody, but a lot of people, I guess, were trying to get to the owner, Henry D. Kwiatkowski, and telling him, you know, you're crazy to be running this horse five days later.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think there are a lot of people that were trying to uh, dissuade Woody and also Dissuade Henrik from running. Again, there's a lot at stake here. There was, a, there was a lot of um stallion power, if you will, at stake here. If he was to bounce, if he was to not handle the slop, if he was to not stay the mile and a half, if this uh schedule of four races in 28 days caught up with him. A lot could have gone wrong. But Woody, again, to his everlasting credit, would not hear. Uh, any other he just said no the horse will win and that's that he said I know my horse I know uh," Woody was a great handicapper he knew exactly who was going to be in the race he knew exactly how the race would unfold and so he just could not see the horse getting beat and he would tell everybody including myself on multiple occasions leading up to the race that uh, it was just a, a, a matter of fact that he would win
0: we got a few people uh, on the bottom of the screen. Phil, there's uh, someone chatting on the bottom that I think you know. I'll bring up the question there <laughs> on the bottom of the screen. <laughs> How about that from your son? Uh, you got a huge that's fan great. club, that's, Phil. That's,
3: uh, that's wonderful. Uh, Skylar is my 22-year-old son. He is a software engineer for Microsoft, and um, uh, I'm, I couldn't be prouder of him. And he's a wonderful <laughs> boy, man.
0: Wow. Hello, Skylar. Thanks for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Dad appreciates it too. Uh, two other quick questions, Paul. That from people, we have a lot of people asking questions. Phil, so hope you have a little bit of time tonight. You're very. I have all here. the time in the world.
3: I love this stuff. It's great.
0: Wonderful, Paul. Let me get to two questions uh, from the chat, and then I'll let you continue on. We have a question from a Vale Place. Uh, Steve Cawthon, Did you know him?
3: I knew. I knew him. Uh, he was writing uh, in New York. Then he was the star of New York front of Time magazine. Um, I had the uh, good fortune of breezing some horses with Steve uh, for Woody when I was uh, galloping for Woody. And I was just as in awe of him, uh, Steve, as everybody else uh, was at that time. He was a terrific, brilliant runner.
0: I, I was just, uh, I was watching uh, the Epsom Derby and I think he was on the telecast he as one was. of the analysts. It was great to, yeah, it was yeah, great yeah. to hear him. And uh, boy, that's a serious horse, by the way, if you are a fan of overseas uh, racing, the horse that won the Epsom Derby, uh, desert, uh, I'm sorry, what's the last name? I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, the horse that won the Cron. Epsom Derby. There we desert go. Cron. Desert Crown. Yeah, yeah, desert Crown. Yeah, like Cron.
3: a I, Yeah, I watched the race. A I serious, the
0: serious runner, Phil.
3: Yeah, I watched the telecast and, uh, I listened to Steve on there as well and. Uh, um, uh, you know, he won a couple of uh, Epsom Dobbies himself, and uh, just a yep. just a terrific rider, great rider. I, I know
0: we're getting off topic, but Rishi Prasad, by the way, is excellent. I'd love to get him, Paul, on the show as well. He does a, a great job there. Uh, mm-hmm. on the other side of the ocean, we have another great question, Phil, from uh from Jim Pilarz, who's from Buffalo, New York. Uh, Phil, how do you feel about you know we talked about this, how infrequently horses are running now? I'm sure this is a question that you've gotten, uh, especially especially in the last five or 10 years is that due to breeding or current training techniques would you say
3: i i think it's more current training techniques um it's the reason i say that is because uh and i'll go off on a tangent a little bit here charles darwin said it takes thousands of generations for any minute change in any species so i can't believe that we've changed this species in 40 years uh, so I don't think it's the breeding. Uh, the, the breeding is still there for these horses to run much more frequently. I think it's just uh, a personal preference of connections that they choose not to. Paul? Yeah, I, Phil, I agree with you. And, you
1: know, it's I, I think over time it really hurts the game. You know, it takes a while, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, what happened. You know, there was a lot of talk even this year, the Kentucky Derby winner not coming back uh, in the Preakness. And, you know, there's two sides to the story, right? They got to do what's best for their horse, and which they, they believe they're doing. But, you know, it's, it's not great for the game. It, it, it captured everyone's imagination. This 80-to-1 shot comes from nowhere to win the Derby. And those who don't follow the game, but like, where is he in the, you know, they just assume he's running in the next leg of the Triple Crown. So, uh, you know, I, I think over time it, it really hurts.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think it may start to, uh, to turn a corner and come back. I can't understand how owners can afford to keep resources. It's a very expensive hobby or passion or business. Um, and to be only running a few times a year, uh, if they're not going to be in big races, it's kind of hard to justify the investment if they're only going to be running a handful of times a year.
0: Paul, let's move on to uh, Caveat and Swale and, and talk to Phil about his thoughts on those two years.
3: Sure.
1: Yes. Uh, we were talking, uh, to, as you heard from Lafitte, uh, Phil, and it, and it was you who told me that in the paddock he told Lafitte, take the horse back as far as you possibly can and when you think you have him back far enough take him back some more tell us uh, what Woody was thinking there and and why he was so intent on having that horse be so far back which you know 30 almost 40 years later has proven to be the exact opposite of the strategy you want in the Belmont tell us about what he's thinking going into that
3: well, we'd sent the horse. Uh, I'd gone with the horse to Hot Springs that winter. Uh, uh, Woody had sent me down there with several horses for their racing festival. Woody would come in to saddle the horses. Uh, I was there a few days ahead of time. And we ran him in the Arkansas Derby. We ran, no, we ran him in a allowance race over there um, before the Arkansas Derby. And he laid close in that race and he finished second. I believe he, he might have been favorite that day. But then in the Arkansas Derby, we decided to try something different and take him back off the pace. Um, he came flying, finished second to Sonny's Halo. So that was the first inclination of how he wanted to be ridden. And how, As and then in the Kentucky Derby, we drew post 20. Uh, and... we. Uh, a, so it it seemed obvious at that time he didn't want to kind of gun him and try and get caught. Why going to the first turn turn in the Derby? So we took him back again, and he was way back in the Derby, and he came flying to finish third. And you could argue he was he may have been the best horse in that race in the Kentucky Derby, uh, based on th- the way he ran. Um, after that, as Lafitte said. Uh, um, uh, uh, Prior to the Belmont He had laid close to the pace And then Woody had then Solidified the idea That he wanted to take him back As far as he possibly could And that is true He did come to, to Lafitte in the paddock And said what you just said Paul Take him back as far as you possibly can And when you think you've got him back As far as you want Take him back some more and that's exactly what Lafitte did. And it it's it, it's great that a jockey that can have that much confidence to be in a classic to be able to do that. And Lafitte did ride with that confidence and came up the rail. I watched the uh, the replay when when Lafitte was on prior to me. And um, he did bounce off the rail and, and he did get hurt in the race. He never ran again. He bowed a tendon. We tried to nurse him back. We swam him a lot up here in Saratoga um, over at the trotting track. We tried everything to try to get him back to the races, but we couldn't uh, justify running him again with that bowed tendon.
0: Phil, just out of curiosity, with the uh, technology being different and just the years and the advances in medicine, uh, do you think you would have been able to get him back to the track uh, today?
3: no i don't i think uh howard
0: uh,
3: i think most trainers would say it's the it's the it's the worst it's the 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 worst injury a horse can have in that it always tends to reappear uh and it's the worst thing that you want to see on worst injury you want to see on a horse is a a a a bow tendon and so no i don't think that um modern science has uh, has made us um that much better in that area of bow tendons at least that's my uh experience
0: uh uh paul before we before we talk about swale paul i just want to answer a few uh other we have a lot of great questions uh dean g wants to know we a big fan of believe it did you believe uh believe it who won a triple crown race uh he was against affirmed but uh believe it he thought said won the wood Uh, just a big fan of believe it you want to talk about that horse a little bit for uh dean well well
3: sure he was horse very close to my heart when i first went to work for woody uh he i started galloping believe it uh as a two-year-old turning three and so i was his regular exercise rider and we knew or we we came to understand that believe it was not as good as affirmed and alidar we were third best but we we tried them several times um But a quick funny story is that um, Woody had sent me to the Kentucky Derby with Believe It in 1978. And the pony boy uh, um, who was supposed to take him to the pole in the afternoon um, had been out partying the night before. And uh, so we now needed a pony for the Kentucky Derby. And so we were scrambling. And I said, I volunteered. I said, Woody, I'd like to do it. And I'd never ponied a horse in uh, any race before. Uh, So Woody allowed me to do it. And my biggest memory is coming through the tunnel with Eddie Maple on Believe It, me on the pony, listening to my old Kentucky home, 100,000 people there. And I turned to Maple and I said, Eddie, I think this might be a good time to tell you I've never done this before. (laughs) And he, He started cracking up that just, uh, all the nerves went away from all of us. And he just, and Eddie talked me through what we need to do. Okay. We're going to go on the track. We're going to make a left. We're going to walk down in front of the crowd. We're going to turn around. We're going to walk in, in the post parade. Um, it was, it was great fun and a, a great experience for me.
0: I'm sure you said it with a bit of a cheeky grin <laughs> as well. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, Paul, you want to, we want to get into uh swale and then, uh, answer a few more questions. Yeah, sure. And, and you brought up Eddie, uh, Phil, and, you know, you heard us talk to
1: Lafitte. You know, poor Eddie was in the wrong place at the wrong time for unbelievably three years in a row. Uh, he, he could have had uh, the three that Lafitte had. And uh, so it was uh, – we'll get to creme fresh later on. But, uh, you know, Lafitte took, obviously took advantage of the opportunity. But you got to feel a little for a guy like Eddie who, who rode for Woody who just missed out on 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 those
3: first three Belmonts. And, and and we did feel bad. Eddie was and is a class act, and uh, we felt bad that he didn't get the, this opportunity through injury or or what have you. And of course, in '84, in '83 rather, he had been the regular rider of. We happened to have the two best two-year-olds in the country, Devil's Bag and Swale, and uh, Devil's Bag was being hailed. And rightly so, is the best horse in secretariat. Um, a young, uh, the the New York Times dispatched a young racing rider by the name of Steve Christ to uh, to um, to follow De- Devil's Bag uh, during his winter camp, winter and spring campaign. Um, and I first met Steve, and to this day, Steve and I are great friends and business partners and I'm racing partner for Steve and his business partners, uh, Racing Stable, Racing Manager. Uh, so, uh, Ken Direct. So, um, uh, uh, so Eddie was very deserving of a win in the Belmont, but that year he had chosen, and correctly so, because um, Devil's Bag was a superior, superior resource to Swale. Um, it was just unfortunate that Devil's Bag didn't stay sound and so he didn't make it to the Belmont uh, 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 or even to the Derby for that matter um, so Lafitte was called upon for the riding duties but Eddie did get his the following year with Creme Fresh, and we were all very very happy about that
0: uh, Paul, I go gonna go. Ask Phil, I'm going to ask Phil Paul can you look at the private chat for a second I'm going to ask Paul because yep. uh, uh, I'm a little confused by something so Paul just uh, please oh. respond
3: yeah, I can respond to that if you'd like. Oh,
0: okay. Uh, go ahead, Phil.
3: I see it. That's my uncle. Oh, <laughs> my 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 lovely wife, the the, the daughter of Bob Dunham, had te- texted my uncle Ken Rocky that I was going to be on your show tonight. So uh. that he, he must have just got this link and got there.
0: Oh, uh, okay. That's so... that's
3: uh, that's dear Uncle Ken.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, I I wasn't planning bringing him in on. We weren't really prepared for that. I think they did. They just want to watch the show. I believe. I don't right. think they yeah, actually wanted. Right. Yeah. That's what. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Well, uh, welcome, folks that are uh, in my backstage right now. You can of course stay on. Uh, Uncle Ken, is that correct? They they can stay on backstage if you folks can hear me. You're watching Uncle to stay Ken on and
3: Auntie M. Yes.
0: And keep and keep listening. Um, Phil, before I uh, have Paul end our conversation of the Belmont Sakes, I was just wondering, can you talk a little about your uh, the day-to-day operations of the Woody Stevens stable? What did you exactly do for him? What does an assistant trainer do on a regular basis? And was Woody open to giving you more or less responsibility than the average assistant trainer?
3: Well, it was a different time. 40 years ago, um, we had the maximum allowable number of horses at Naira, which was 36, Uh, we had sort of two barns of 18, uh, 18 normally older horses, and then the other barn was full of two-year-olds. We'd have several assistants, uh, myself, Billy Badgett, uh, Sandy Bruno, Um, and uh, so there'd be a couple of assistants uh, slash foreman in each barn, and we'd be in charge of making up the set list, Uh, just going around, checking with grooms and horses and checking legs, setting feed, just doing pretty much uh, all the groundwork so that when Woody got there, uh, he could just focus on the training of the horses.
1: Paul? I just felt briefly to get back to Devil's Bag, to put it in perspective for people in 1973 I believe Secretariat was syndicated for six million dollars, which was a, a huge amount of money at the time. Uh, uh, Ten years later, Devil's Bag was syndicated for thirty-six million dollars. So it showed what wow. type of uh, talent that horse had, and you know what type of potential people thought he had.
3: He was the the best two-year-old certainly since Secretariat. Um, he had run fast races. He was next, uh, I had. Been fortunate enough to be around a lot of good horses in Woody's barn. save in Topsicorus, White Star Line. Uh, the list goes on and on. You mentioned Believe It, Quadratic. Um, but none of them would com- could compare in raw talent to Devil's Bag, with the possible exception of Danzig. Uh, I was the regular exercise rider of Danzig in his three-year-old year. Um, and Danzig was exceptionally talented as well, but Woody would say um, and always and always did that the two best horses he ever trained were Devil's Bag and Danzig from a raw talent standpoint. As we move on to Swale. Phil is interesting.
1: Um, he had a kind of an off race in Lexington. Uh, and came back to win, uh, win the Derby, and then uh, didn't run really well in the Preakness, and obviously came back with the Tour de Force and the Belmont. Tell us
3: a little bit about that campaign. So he went to uh, he he won the Derby as you said, and he and he went to the Preakness, and uh, he'd had Woody had breezed him a mile, you know. Again, training was different then, and, bet, and between the Derby and Preakness, uh, Woody managed to to uh, uh, get a mile breeze under his belt. Um, and then he was, gonna, he was going to blow him, blow him out easily two days before the race. And he went a lot faster than he was supposed to or what he wanted him to. I don't know if that was the cause uh, of his defeat in the Preakness. He also had a little problem getting his tongue over the bit in that race. So it's hard to say what happened in the Preakness. Uh, but coming back to Belmont, uh, he trained very, very well leading up to the race. Ron McKenzie was his regular exercise rider. Uh I watched the horse train every day. He came to the race in excellent order. Um he was fitted with a tongue tie. Um and uh, as you saw from the from the replay, he was just much the best in that race Swale.
1: And you know, ironically, that was the first year of the Breeders' Cup. Uh Phil and you'd have to think that uh you know, sad we talked with Lafitte. Sadly, uh, he he had a heart attack and died, I believe it was eight days uh, after the Belmont, you would have had to think uh, he could have been a a
3: contender down the line uh, come the first Breeders' Cup. You'd have to think so. He was, I agree with Lafitte, he was on the improve. The Belmont was his best race all year, uh, I thought. And it was just very unfortunate. And to this day, we do not know the exact nature of of, uh, how he died. Uh, only that he did. He went out for a, a gallop. I watched his gallop. I'd spoken to Woody that morning. He was on his way to Hot Springs for a vacation with Lucille, his wife. And he had said, uh, go ahead and gallop swale. Normal gallop. Ron McKenzie, his regular ex- exercise rider, galloped him. He came back to the barn. He was on the wash rack having a normal bath and uh, keeled over, unfortunately. And wow. we we uh, we had vets there within seconds it seems and um but the horse uh swale expired
1: if you were ranking the if you were ranking the five belmont winners he had phil uh would would swale be at or near the
3: top of those five i would think so yeah i would think of the five horses he was the most talented um creme Fresh was the toughest um uh, 64 stats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Conquistador maybe, maybe on his day was the most brilliant, uh, certainly at, at a shorter distance. Um, but uh, Dan's a connection, yeah, he wouldn't have been quite as good as a couple of the others, I wouldn't think, uh, when it comes to uh, raw talent. But I think the assessment is fair that Swale was the best of those five.
0: Let's take a few more questions from our Uh, Our viewers, again, we have as many people watching now, Phil, as we did earlier in the show. So we'll just keep going on for about 15 or 20 more minutes, if that's okay with you. And people are really enjoying this trip down uh, memory lane because uh, horse racing, of course, goes through the generations. And it's just great to hear these wonderful stories firsthand by someone uh, who is there. Uh, Jim has a question. Of all the many successes that were well documented, was there a race that Woody lost uh, that was the most disappointing to either you or him?
3: The first thing, the first race that comes to mind is Devil's Bags Flamingo. Uh, Again, the hoopla, uh, which was uh, merited for Devil's Bag as a two-year-old turning three, best horse since Secretariat, uh, had won uh, his first start as a three-year-old in an exhibition race in a gallop and then ran in Flamingo and finished a week fourth behind Dr. Carter. And uh, for a youngster like was, me,
0: would that be Gulfstream or Hialeah, Phil?
3: That would be Hialeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, great and um, that that was a huge disappointment to Woody uh, and all the connections. And certainly to me, I was his regular exercise rider as well as being uh, Woody's assistant. And uh, it was a shock. Uh, it, it was just uh, the horse we thought was unbeatable. And he finished fourth. So I would say that was as tough a loss for Woody as any loss he ever had.
0: Let's take one more question. This one's from Vail Place. Um, Heavenly Cause, you remember that filly? Talk a little bit about her.
3: Beautiful filly. I have a picture of her in my home here. A nice filly, one of Kentucky Oaks, one of Fantasy, big gray filly by Gray Dawn, owned by Jim Ryan of Rye Hill Farm and August Belmont and Bob Kirkham. Beautiful filly, and uh, have very fond memories of her. Paul,
1: so Phil, just to, I, I know you had left, I believe, after '84, right? You went on out on your own in '85, but he did win it. We talked about Creme Fresh, who was a real talk about a war horse, Sixty, sixty-four starts, and uh, I think David
3: Donk. Did David Donk actually replace you, Phil? He did. So, yeah, I, so. Uh, I left and I'd been offered a job uh, by Frank Stronach uh, in the winter of 84, 85. And I went to Woody and told him about the offer and uh, we discussed it. And he, he said, I think you're ready. Uh, so I had Woody's blessing to go out on my own. And then he set about looking for a replacement to, for a position to take my position. And uh, he landed on David Dunk And that was a great decision uh, because David uh, proved to be a a huge asset to Woody and has become a very good trainer in his own right. And in fact, trains uh, the horses uh, that I own pieces of now and manage and is a good friend. And
1: lastly, Phil, you, you spoke about Woody's confidence and David told me an interesting anecdote. He said after the 85 Belmont, Now he's won four in a row and everyone figures, you know, how how can he keep winning these Belmonts? He said back at the barn after the race, you mentioned the two barns, the the regular, you know, the older horses and the two-year-old barns. He said Woody pointed to the two-year-old barn and said, the next one's over there. You guys just got to figure out which one it is.
3: Yeah, right. (laughs)
1: And it it turns out it was Dan's connection, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, David has told me that story and uh, it's – that's a typical Woody uh, anecdote. It's, it's great. It's uh, it speaks to Woody's confidence and uh, in himself and in in his confidence in his ability as a trainer.
1: Phil, so I- this weekend, uh, Phil Howard's going to get the pleasure of going to see Woody's corner in the Belmont
0: Clubhouse. I, my, I have my first, uh, my first triple crown race, Phil. My first time to Belmont coming up here in a oh, few days actually
3: wow well that's just yeah. great well congratulations with on this that. guy gonna... with
0: this guy right there
3: <laughs> you're gonna enjoy that when you get to see woody's corner take your time just absorb all that history because that streak will never happen again
0: phil i have to ask you one other question i don't mean that and i'm sort of a bit of a negative question but it's on a lot of people's minds right now and i i'd love to hear from a, someone who just retired and ha- has seen it all the, the drug situation with horses right now, there's going to be federal you know, agencies going to be coming in. I know we could talk for an hour about this issue and I don't want to get into politics or talk about specific trainers, but what do you think is in the best interest of horse racing in terms of administrating uh, drug use and LASIKs and whatnot in this country?
3: Well, I guess to get it all under one umbrella seems to be logical. Um, I think some therapy. Therapeutic medications are innocuous and necessary for these athletes, because that's what they are, or racehorses are athletes. So I, I, I hope they don't get too crazy with taking everything away that can help a horse. Uh, I'm dead against any um, strong medications. I was, uh, as as you mentioned, I trained for 36 years, and I, I've never had any kind of positive uh, drug test I read in my career.
0: Congratulations, uh, I, by the way, to you for that. That's amazing.
3: Thank you. And I'm very proud of that. And, and I, I, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and say I, I played the game the right way. So I think that people that don't play the right way should be penalized and penalized harshly, uh, tossed out of the game. Um, having said that, let's not go too far. Let's not take away aspirin. Let's not take away something that can be of help to horses if they need it.
0: Paul, I'll let you go ahead and uh, ask our last, our last question to Phil. I'll, I'll see if there's any other uh, questions in the comments, then we'll go and end the show. Go ahead, Paul.
1: Well, I just want to amplify that point, Howard. You know, The, the regulations you know, are pretty tight, and, and I think they've always been fairly tight. And 36 years, Mr. Gleaves trained, 4,178 starters, as we mentioned, zero medication violations so, so it can't be it can't be done it, it it can be done oats and water right phil oats yeah yeah and phil my question is are you where i know you still go south but you, are you back in the in saratoga are you
3: yes we my my lovely wife and i live in Balston spa five miles from saratoga um we bought a home here several years ago we love it here and um we're here now uh until October, we've been going to Ocala for the winters. and um, But now I'm retired and uh, I'm in Saratoga and loving it. We have uh, several horses, as I mentioned, with David Donk. We have a two-year-old with Todd Pletcher that we went out to see train this morning at the Oklahoma training track. So I'm still very uh, visible and part of the game, and I'd like to be part of the game. I just wanted to step away from the training of it i figured figured that uh i'd gotten up at 4 30 uh many mornings and i figured i deserved the break
1: well i was going to say phil i it's hard for me to imagine that when, when i go to the oklahoma in the mornings and i know i've seen you there several times that i won't see you around there so i'm sure you're still going to be on the scene and it's always great to see you i personally it's odd but it might be my favorite part of saratoga i mean i love the races i love betting them i love covering them but there's just something about starting the day across the street you know watching those horses train walking through the barns uh watching guys like yourself uh you know doing everything from mucking stalls to to leading horses out and it's just the start of a new day and, and a new optimism and uh I'm I'm confident that uh, that we'll see you there again, and we look
3: forward to it. Well, that's great. It's been a pleasure uh, being with you guys tonight, and I look forward to seeing you both uh, out at uh, at the track early in the morning, training horses. And there's no better place to be um, uh, on a on a nice, beautiful Saratoga morning.
0: Well, Phil, I will be in a New York state of mind this summer. I'll also take my first trip to Saratoga during the second week of the season, I'd love to, we'll be in touch. I'd love to meet with you in, in person and and have a beverage with you or whatever and uh, reminisce about uh, Saratoga. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just a fantastic show. We've had great viewership. I really hope you everyone's enjoyed this trip down memory lane with Lafitte Pinkai Jr. and the wonderful Phil Gleaves. For Phil Gleaves and Paul Howland, this is Howard Kravitz. It's been episode 145 of the HHH racing podcast full we'll leave you on screen as we end the show please watch us wednesday night uh we all have david aragona 8 p.m eastern to talk about the friday card and then thursday night the big a anthony stabile will be here 8 p.m eastern to talk about belmont stakes day have a great evening everyone we'll see you on wednesday night take care thank you Bill. Bye.
3: thank you thank you